A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome back to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 3, Episode 2. I'm Priya. And I'm John. So for this episode, we thought we'd start our kind of uh, exploration of the pandemic and where we all are by really getting deeply into what is life like right now. And not just from my perspective in the US, in the UK and not just John's perspective uh, being in the US, but how do we get a global view about what life is like right now? So we reached out to several friends and we were lucky that uh, Fadi in Jerusalem is able to join us. Hello, Fadi. Hi, John. Hi, Priya. Hey. And we also have Graham, who's joining us from Hong Kong. So hello, Graham. Hi, John. Hi, Priya. Hi, Fadi. Hi. It's great to have you um, have you all kind of here. So I guess as we dig into what life, life is like right now, it might just be useful for us all just to quickly say how long we have been in lockdown or are we still in lockdown? It just might be a useful reference point. So in the UK, we've been in lockdown officially since the 23rd of March. Um, so about seven weeks now, um, although I started a little bit earlier. So for me, it's nearly eight weeks um, I've been in lockdown. What about you guys? Uh, for us here in uh, in Jerusalem, uh, we've been in lockdown since March 7th. So basically two uh, two months. Uh, and now we're starting to ease that a little bit. And in Hong Kong, we actually haven't been in lockdown in the same way that uh, many places in the world are. Um, civil servants uh, were asked to work from home a couple of months ago, but um, and the rest of us were encouraged um, to do so. But even if you're working from home, we've still been able to come out. Uh, so the, the strategy here has been about social distancing and wearing masks and that kind of thing in public places. And then in Washington, D.C., it was also March 23rd. Um, and really, technically, I'm in the, the Commonwealth or the state of Virginia, which was March 23rd. Uh, and then just like you, Priya, um, today is actually week number eight or day 56 for us. I came back from a trip from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and that night was the first night that I stopped leaving the house. So, yeah. And John, can you still go out uh, outside of the house and walk around? Or Yeah, it's so funny. I, I actually had to look it up. That's part of my story. If I jump in really quickly, um, I, I had to look up the, the actual law. So in the United States, we have these things called governors, and there's a gov one governor for each state, and the governor gets to set for the entire state. Now, it even gets more confusing because, again, Virginia is not a state technically. It's actually a commonwealth, which is a little bit different. It counts as a state, um, but the, the way government and law works is a little bit different. So the governor put out what they call an executive order on March 23rd, and I had to look it up because embarrassingly... We just don't hear that much about it. We hear more from the president and the, the federal, the national level sort of gets all the, the news. But yeah, it's March 23rd until May 14th is the actual Virginia law. And the things in there are things like no more than 10 people are ever allowed to gather anywhere until May 14th. All schools are closed across the entire Commonwealth. Restaurants are all closed. There's this strange line that says recreational and entertainment businesses are all closed, whatever that means. And the only things that are open are groceries, medical centers, um, home improvement, 
and then a few other things that made the list long. I didn't want to read the whole list. And then, yeah, we, we use feet over here. Um, so it's, yeah, social distancing of six feet mm-hmm. is required. And then the masks, I, I was reading it. it. I didn't see it in there. I don't think masks are required that I know really. of. Not that I know of. So, I yeah, mean, that's... That just yeah. strikes me as such a contrast with Hong Kong. Um, uh, there was a lot of debate early on about whether wearing, or, whether wearing masks was helpful or not, um, and whether it was protecting other people from you or you from other people. Or you know, There was a lot of toing and froing on that. I left my office uh, one night, probably about two weeks ago. 100% of the people that I could see at every, you know, in every direction I looked, 100% of the people were wearing face masks. And there's no, there's no order that requires us to do that. It's just been quite a, a huge scale um, social conscience, if you like, uh, kind of movement. No, actually, actually here in Jerusalem, uh, even as we, uh, uh, the, the lockdown is being eased right now and, and we can uh, leave our houses, uh, we are required to wear a face mask. And uh, if we are not, then you get fined. Uh, you get fined wow. around uh, 70, 80 US dollars. So it is it is a requirement. Uh, and uh, during the lockdown, actually, uh, you would find uh, police uh, uh, blocking neighborhoods. So you cannot move even between one neighborhood to another uh, mm. unless, you know, uh, you have a reason for groceries or going for medical uh, reasons. Uh but now things are we're, leave, we're we're getting gradually out of this, and if the numbers continue to go down, then hopefully by uh, mid June uh, we'll go back to how things were uh, before the pandemic. The only constant that the borders are sealed, no one comes from from abroad and no one leaves. And and Fadi, are people being quite? Um like respectful of that like are, are, are people generally following the rules is that is that is is it kind of quite um i don't want to use the word obedient but do you know what I mean? are people following the rules pretty, pretty much yes and, and uh, this is basically one of one of the reasons why we we haven't had uh, uh an outbreak uh, we got um uh, uh, basically Around 6,000 uh, people infected uh, and 200, uh, you know, deaths around that. Uh, mm. By now, it's it's really a minimal number, around 30 per day. And this is really due to people uh, obeying kind of the instructions, following them, uh, realizing that, you know, uh, there, there is a cost, especially on the elderly people. Uh, I live with my mom, uh, and one of the reasons uh, I was very self-cautious and being responsible is because I know anything I would carry, it would be, you know, transmitted to her. And that's why, uh, yeah, it it wasn't, there wasn't uh, any problem with people following the rules, even until this moment. It sounds like it's similar in Hong Kong then, Graham, like people have generally kind of not needed it to be mandated as much as other countries and they've kind of followed and and fallen in with the rules? Pretty much that's true, yes. Um, There was a lot of debate in the beginning uh, contrasting the Hong Kong approach with the Singapore approach. Um, And in the early days in Singapore, where the infection rate was about the same as Hong Kong, um, in Hong Kong, the government was saying, please wear a mask in public. And the Singapore government took exactly the opposite stance. And they said, don't wear a mask 
unless you feel unwell. Um, and they were trying to uh, preserve masks uh, for frontline healthcare um, uh, workers. Um, I think what changed in Hong Kong was uh, this asymptomatic transmission um, issue and people able to infect other people without having any symptoms at all themselves or knowing that they were ill. And a bit like Fadi described, there was a bit of a sense of I'm protecting older and more vulnerable people by wearing a mask, even if I don't feel ill or, or don't believe I have any symptoms. Um, then it sort of shifted when we started getting imported cases as people traveled back uh, into Hong Kong. Um, and, you know, that sort of carried the increased risk of local infection. And I think the, the momentum sort of gathered from there. But it's encouraged and there are posters everywhere and public announcements, but it isn't uh, mandated or, or enforced uh, by law enforcement. Part of the rhetoric really early on in the UK was you had lots of people saying, I'll be fine, I'm young, I'm not old, um, you know, and, and that, that there was a bit of confusion back, you know, eight weeks ago about being a carrier. Um, so, you know, the, the Friday before lockdown, you had thousands of people out in pubs, mm. um, you know, Cheltenham, which is a, a big social event um, in the UK that went ahead um, so, there, so I felt like I felt like there was a lag in the UK, uh, mainly caused by people thinking that it's an old, it's, it affects older people. So I'm okay. Yeah. Um, so that's slightly different. That kind of responsibility, that social responsibility, took a bit of time to build. I think. Yeah, those those events got a lot of coverage um, in in media in Hong Kong um, and in China as well. People were saying, "Are they mad? You know, have they, yeah. have they got no idea what they're what they're dealing with?" How about the emotional side? What does it feel like where you are? And I guess I'm, I am asking on a bit of a personal level for you, what does it feel like? And then the, the maybe safer question of like, generally, if you project out to people around you and the community around you, what does it feel like right now? Uh, I'll jump in on that one. So, so uh, I'm a new mum, and I would say the primary thing it feels like to me is lonely. Um, you know, how I thought maternity leave would be, you know, mummy groups, baby classes, coffees, all, you know, all of that stuff has kind of gone away. Um, my husband is an introvert. So he's, you know, I think introverts are designed for lockdown that, you know, they, he copes much better than me. Um, so I, I think lonely would be the primary thing that I would say. And I, I know you can connect online, but I think when you've got a new baby, I think the kind of physical being out and about is is a big um is a big thing. Um and I think the other thing I'd say um in terms of wider outside of me how does it feel? I think that when it first started there was like a little bit of denial people were you know not quite you know sure of it you know we seem to really struggle with social distancing in the UK. Um, so in, in the UK, it's two metres apart. And the first couple of weeks, if you went to the supermarket, people were really struggling with following that simple instruction. So I think it's taken people a bit of time to get used to it. But now, if I'm out in the pharmacy or the doctors or the supermarket or whatever, and I say I always say to people, how are you doing? Predominantly, nine times out of ten, people will say they're used to it now. That's, mm. that's what I'm hearing at the moment. Oh, I'm more used to it now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing now. I'm more used to it. I, I, I know how to do this now. So that, that I think would be a temperature check. Uh, no, it, it just occurred to my mind. It's, it's, it's a very interesting question, John, because uh, I would say uh, it depends when do you ask me during those uh, uh, past two months. 
and even uh, which part of the day you would ask me this question, <laughs> I would have a different different answer. Wow. Uh, because yeah, it's again experiencing. You know, uh, for someone like me who's uh, always traveling, uh, you know, uh, busy schedule, suddenly finding myself at home. Uh, with everything just being, uh, you know, work-wise postponed or cancelled, not being able even to go to the gym, uh, lots of uncertainty about about life or my, my, what might happen. Even having, you know, uh, some nights I wasn't able to sleep, just thinking of what if, God forbid, I would carry the virus and I, I will, you know, transfer it to my mom. Mm. Literally, some nights I wasn't able to sleep, just being so, uh, you know, anxious. What if that scenario happens? Uh, some days I would I would feel down. Other days I would you know feel up, ready to you know engage, uh, have some some meaningful conversations with people. So I would say it was a journey of up and down and trying just to make meaning of what is happening and how is that gonna impact you know the future of things, my loved ones, my my brothers uh, and sister, my mom, etc. So it's it's it it has been for me it has been a roller coaster until this moment is like. How can I how can I make meaning of this and how is this gonna impact everything uh, everything around me and everybody around me going forward? Because we I noticed that it's we are only in the first chapter of a long story. Yeah, yeah, that um, that resonates with me at a, a number of levels. Um, in Hong Kong, um, I guess I'm representative of quite a, a large uh, percentage of people here. Um, who are not from here. You know, we've been living here a long time in many cases like me. I, I've been here 31 years, um, but our family members are, are in other countries. Um, and our business as well typically involved a lot of travel. Um, in the last three months, I've spent more time in Hong Kong continuously than I have at any time in, in the sort of the past uh, 30 years. Um, but for me, I, mean, I, I run my own business here. I'm the sole income earner in my family. And so the uncertainty and anxiety over the impact on, on business in the short, medium, and even long term um, is, a, is a real source of um, stress um, and, and anxiety. Um, and that's true for a lot of my clients too. And my, my day starts every day with calling my mother, who's um, nearly 80 years old and is in real lockdown along the lines of what you, you've described um, in New Zealand, uh, where they, they acted very quickly and put the whole country in lockdown. Now, for an 80-year-old woman, um, she's widowed, um, so she's by herself. That's, that's hugely anxiety-provoking. So I call her first thing in the morning, try and you know, talk to her and make sure she's okay. My brother and sister who live in New Zealand um, also, also um, speak with her. But it's not the same as being able to have that, um, that human connection. But just to, to pick up on Priya's point about loneliness, we've got kind of the reverse situation in Hong Kong um, in that a lot of people are spending much more time together um, than they would ordinarily have done in often very small apartments. Um, and quite disturbingly, that's led to an increase in domestic violence um, and other kinds of mm. um, um, unpleasant consequences just because people are, are spending much more time than they, they used to uh, confined to the same space, even though it's not lockdown. We've, we've had the same in the UK, actually, a very stark rise in domestic violence, for sure. Is it the same in Jerusalem and, and the US? Uh, no, actually, you know, in Jerusalem, we, we're, we've been living in conflict for, what, 70, uh, 70 years uh, as, you know, Palestinians and, and Israelis. Uh, so I'm bringing here another, another uh, uh, bright side of the story, I must say, because 
you have uh, imbalance between both societies and they are not two uh, totally independent states here. Uh, however, uh, that showed, this pandemic showed that you cannot really have two separate independent states. Both sides have to collaborate with each other. And one state cannot be uh, rich and has a, a very good health uh, system, healthcare system. And the other one is just poor uh, because it, it would just impact. You know, it's 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 uh, if you cross from one neighborhood to, to another, you are, you know, you are crossing from, from Israel to Palestine or to the West Bank. The uh, usual violence that we would experience uh, and we have been experiencing for so many years uh, basically uh, went back almost to zero. And as a result, people were uh, just taking care of their people, their communities, uh, and even collaborating across the border to make sure that they control the pandemic. So in a way, people have realized that we cannot live separately from, from each other. Uh, and we need to collaborate to make sure that each side is basically uh, living, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and containing this pandemic. In the U.S., I think we've had sort of a, a bifurcated or divisive quite conversation or sense going on around us. And the story I've, that comes to mind is when I leave the house and go for a long walk, I will see some people in masks, some people not in masks. And I could be projecting this, but and some of it is actually my personal feelings. I sense an irritation between people of... In fact, in fact, I feel an irritation of I'm not wearing a mask in this moment and I'm irritated at myself that I'm not wearing a mask. And then I see people that like when we walk on these narrow paths, some people will like I, I've literally had my shoulder touched by a runner because they run so close to me on the path that they touch me. Like, so there's no six feet there. It's they're that close and they're not in a mask. And then a minute later, I'll see someone running and they're in a mask and they'll run 20 feet off the path to clearly stay away. So there's, it's a lot to Fadi's point of like, there's a range of emotions depending on the day and the time and who I'm with. And I guess if I'm honest with myself, it's a, I, I understand and, and have moments of loneliness and anxious and anxiety, like we talked about, um, I think uh, Fadi used the word down, so maybe even like a depressed feeling. Um, I have to, honest for me is irritation is the primary. I, there's a range, but I don't know if that's an American thing or a, a, the area I'm in or me. Uh, I honestly don't know, but that's that's my, my truth. Oh, and sorry, Priya, you also asked about um, domestic violence. And I was saying I'm not an authority on that, and yet... Yes, I'm aware of, and I even started to share a story about in um, in our community here, we had a, a police incident that was quite known with all the, the sirens and the, the police activity in our little neighborhood uh, just a day or two ago. Uh, so yes, and I want to also make sure I mention that one of the, the, the conversations going on in this area that I think is also a global conversation is... Um, underrepresented and minorities and how it appears and the numbers seem to show that um, that those communities are even more affected by the virus for lots of systemic reasons and and that feels quite sensitive to to bring up but I'm I'm aware of it yeah. so, same with the UK so that you know we've we've been living with austerity for a long time and there's been a recent report that's come out this week about people from not only BAME backgrounds, but 
less affluent areas are, you know, more affected by the effects of COVID-19 than if you live in a, you know, a more affluent area. Um, does, does that dynamic exist in Jerusalem and Hong Kong? I can't say quite so much in, in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, our total so far is still only just a little over a thousand uh, cases. Uh, I think we're about a thousand and forty-two, something like that. Um, and it has been contained quite well, at least in part. Um, people have memories back to the days of SARS and, and how, how um, devastating that was in Hong Kong. Um, and the other is it's, it's a very small, um, self-contained um, uh, location without such clear um, distinctions um, uh, between groups. Uh, there are minorities here, and there was a lot of uh, attention paid early on to make sure that they were not cut out of uh, communications um, and, and could still have access to, to masks and hand sanitizers and all that kind of thing. So I think, by and large, that hasn't been too much of an issue here. Yeah, same, same, same in Jerusalem. Uh, and part of it that uh, the healthcare system here is uh, accessible to everybody, everybody uh, insured. Uh, so even before the pandemic, people were having, you know, access. You could uh, visit your uh, physician, doctor, anytime you want. You have the, you know, the proper medication uh, and, and healthcare. That kind of uh, played out very well during this this pandemic. So you cannot see any uh, uh, differences uh, between uh, socioeconomic status or or the the people here and how it, uh, the pandemic impacted them. Uh, unlike uh, you know where we see. Uh, in, in, in the U.S. Uh, or some of the Western countries. If, if I look at larger scale, I know the question that is basically to zoom into, into some countries, but uh, if I zoom out and I look globally, everybody is scared and afraid of what might happen um, in Africa. The bad healthcare, the poor, uh, which they don't have access uh, to equipment, uh, ventilators, etc., And that raises the issue Again, if are we learning lessons from the current pandemic as a, a human race? What, how can we move forward? Will we forget what is happening right now, whether on our national scene or globally, or will we change things moving forward? Will capitalism address the challenges that we are facing in the 21st century, or it is already failing us and we need to find something else? These are the questions that personally I've been thinking about. And I wonder what OD, since our background right here is OD, what our responsibility and what OD has to offer for humanity moving forward as a response of this traumatic experience we are living in, because OD came as a response of the Second World War. And I wonder what can we do moving forward as an OD practitioner? I know I diverted in, from, from this, but I know that the question was to look, focus, and zoom more into our countries. But I see that there is a global uh, uh, pattern as well, uh, not only inside countries, but also globally. Fadi, I, I love where you're going because I think I think that's a whole other conversation about what do we want to learn, what are we learning, what what happens next. You know, that's a whole that's a whole you know deep conversation. Like you, um, I'm I'm sitting here as a new mum with my daughter, thinking what what will what will the world be like for her? So, what is the economic model that um, sees you know things even up a little bit? 
you know, globally, what are, the, what are some of the patterns about how we live and the effect on the environment? We've mm. seen a massive positive bright side, to use your language, effect on the environment since people have been travelling less, using less cars, using less planes. Um, and if you balance that positive effect with the economic effect of, you know, the tourism, the uh, air travel, the hospitality industry, who are really suffering and will not all make it through... Um, so it's really bringing our environmental impact to stark. It's really starkly highlighting what the prices are that we've been paying kind of behind the scenes for a lot of people for the type of freedom and travel and consumeristic life that we've been able to lead thus far. Um, so I guess I, I could talk about this all day, but I guess to try and close the episode, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. So we started with what's life like right now. Uh, I wonder whether a closing question could be to, to Fanny's point about learning and where we go next. What's um, well, we've all talked about making personal meaning over the last kind of eight weeks or so. I just wondered for each of us, what's been your biggest kind of personal learning um, from COVID-19 so far? I, I'll go first on that if, if you like. Um, I think for me, it's, a combination of the, the importance and value of family. I mean, I've got my family back with me. My daughter came back from, from the UK. Um, she's with us. And, and, you know, just it's not a learning so much as a reinforcement of the value of that. Um, and the learning, I guess, that comes out of the other side is how easy it's been to be completely distracted um, um, by short-term considerations and, and work um, from what really matters and what's really important. I can I can go and say for me the the biggest learning is a virus is a virus. I know we are we are in pandemic, but the virus has basically showed uh, many faces uh, or, or showed us what is really important in in the sense of uh, in in the good times. What do we need to work on? What is our homework? What do we need to prepare for? Uh, how interconnected globally uh, we are and how we are humanity, we are moving into new direction, a new era uh, in which we literally, we need and we uh, we need to develop a new socioeconomic foundations to govern, to govern ourselves because all what exists basically has failed us in, in, in front of a virus. For me, that, that realization in which I feel I am invited to shape the narrative and the discourse as an OD practitioner around where is our sense of responsibility in, in going forward as a, as, as a human race. I love that question about what is the homework. I think that's such a valuable thing to reflect on. What, what is the homework we need to be doing? Thank you. And uh, I guess if I offer the, the U.S. perspective or maybe my personal perspective, I was uh, fortunate even privileged to be on a call just last night where we were having a similar conversation and they asked these three questions at the close. Um, what have you found is most important to you during the pandemic? What have you found you struggle with the most during the pandemic and what inspires you most? And to me, that's kind of where we've all taken this question too. I think, um, I guess if I just steal my own notes from last night, my, my quick response if it's appropriate for me to share, is um, relationship and contact. And I guess from contact, I mean from that gestalt point of view of um, connection is one thing to have conversation and make connection with people, whether it's in person or virtual or any other way. Um, that contact of actually shifting each other 
um, really working together in that kind of way, that seems to be really rising for me. And but to Fadi's point of what's really most important, contact really jumps out for me. Priya? Very similar to what you've just said. I I think what to, to use Graham's language, what it's reinforced to me is how important it is for all of us to see others and be seen ourselves. And I think that's a lot of what people are searching for through this is to genuinely feel a sense of connection to one another, not just on a person to person, but, you know, it's been a very stark reminder about how connected we are as humanity um, and and how we go forward together. That's kind of, you know, really underlined things for me, for sure. Well, I, I guess we have to bring this to a close. I could, I could literally carry on talking to you all afternoon, but... Um, I guess we have to bring this to a close. I feel like I want to say, like, stay well and stay safe to everybody. Mm. And, um, you know, I know everyone's with their families and just sending love to you all and hoping you stay safe during this time. And I hope we hope we do another podcast when this is all over and we reflect back on the conversation that we had and things is, things are, are different for us. And gratitude for me. Thank you all for taking the time and the effort to, to join us and hit record. And share, you know, like Priya saying, where we are in this moment. I don't know if we're in the middle or heading towards the end or, or what's going to happen, but just thank you for... Or maybe for the, the beginning of something. Something, exactly. Yes. So, yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you, Priya. <laughs> thank you, John, for having me. Uh, and good to meet you, Graham. Uh, that was uh, lovely. Thank All you. Right. And, and I, I think that spirit, stay well and stay safe, is a nice note yeah. on which to end. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.